0: Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions.
1: Without putting like stereotypes on it, like my foster sister and I were talking and she was telling me like, you know, um like people don't like black women because we're going to say what we feel and we're going to say like how we feel. I don't know how to explain it. Like I totally agree with her on that. And I feel like I'm also a Sagittarius. So like, we're very truthful. Like my friend was telling me this story about when this other girl who shares and her name's Alexis too, she shares the same birthday as me. Um, She had a lie one time and it looked like she was going to throw up And I feel her on that because we don't, we're not like liars. And so um, just, I don't know, just like knowing my worth and knowing that like I have a right to be comfortable in whatever situation I'm in. And I'm going to be comfortable no matter what people feel or how they feel or what they think, or that's not my business. My business is me. That's my number one priority. And if I'm worried about What someone else who goes home at the end of the day to their children is thinking about me, then that's not beneficial to me because at the end of the day, they're not thinking about me. They're thinking about them and their life. And I have to think about me and my life too.
0: Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years?
1: We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus
0: babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm ACASA, a court-appointed special advocate volunteer for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know, it's a mouthful. In the same way ACASA works, I explore all things in the foster care maze by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, really anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA. My guest today is Alexis Obina, and she calls herself a strong, proud black woman, and that's exactly what she is. When she was a young girl, she and her younger brother and sister were removed from her mother's care, or I should say lack of it. And nobody wanted to adopt a sibling set of three, so she made the decision, the very difficult decision, and one that a little girl shouldn't have to make. She decided to enter foster care on her own, alone, so that her younger brother and sister could be together adopted to stay together. So that they'd have each other and maybe make their lives a little better because of that. So she was all on her own from then on. Hi, I'm here with Alexis Obina. Hi. Hi, Alexis. Hey. Hi. How are you? Good. I really love your sweatshirt. Um you, you can I tell people what it says? <laughs> yeah. Assholes live forever. Yeah. You know, it's weird. They do, right? They do. They're ever present. They keep on going. They stay in your heart, and in your mind way longer than you want them to. Right. Yeah. And sometimes the good people fade away, but hopefully not too much. So can you tell me a little bit about who you are, where you're from, how you're raised?
1: Um, so I'm Alexis. I'm a bachelor in social work student at Cal State LA.
0: Right. You're working on your bachelor's now, right?
1: Yeah. I have one more semester. So this semester is my last semester.
0: Okay. Good for you.
1: Thanks. And then I'm from LA. So I don't know. I've always, I was born in Northridge. So like, I'm kind of like a Valley person. Mm -hmm. And then I lived in like LA and all over. um, I hear it a
0: little bit in your voice. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So I like, you know, um, staying in the valley in LA, but it's like so expensive out here because everyone wants to come out here and be like famous or whatever.
0: Yeah, they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So like, but they don't realize that they push like all of us who live here out of our hometown. So it's like Mm -hmm. really sad, but just a little bit of mindfulness for today. And then I was... Kind of raised in foster care, like more than I was raised at home,
0: right, so when you say kind of how how old were you when you went into foster care?
1: So I was like eight
0: eight years old mhm mm-hmm. Do you have any siblings do you have family that are that they were also in care with you or were you separated from your family?
1: Well, at first I had a brother, and then we were together, and then we went home for like two weeks, and then my sister was born, and then we all went into foster care. And then um, my brother and I were together for a little bit. And then my sister was in another home. And then they were trying to find like adoption places for all three of us. But it wasn't working because I was already like 15 or something. Well, like already a teenager. And then um, so then I had to make the decision. Like I was talking to the social workers and they were like, well, what do you want to do? So I made the decision to like, make sure that my brother and sister were adopted and that I just went through foster care. So then they got wow. adopted. Yeah.
0: Wait a minute. So you made that decision or that yeah. you, you contributed to that decision to saying, no, I want them to be able to be together and it's okay if I'm placed separately.
1: Yep. So in California, the legal age to make uh, decisions for yourself as a minor is 12. And so except for with sexual and reproductive health rights, because there are some sexual and reproductive health rights that you can make for yourself before age 12. But other than that, to make like court decisions and real, I guess you want to call them real decisions of your life, it has to be age 12. But again, just having that like support and talking to your lawyers, because you can be like, I know myself and I know that this is not going to be good for me because there's no way that, Youth can be self-sufficient if you don't give them the tools to speak for themselves and be self-sufficient on their own.
0: Oh, my goodness. Wow. What a big decision to make for a kid.
1: Well, yeah, but, you know, you have to do it and you have to weigh like um, the pros and cons and everything. So then, I mean, I think that that like my brother and sister went to a good home. My other sister's in a closed adoption. So I only seen her once when she was like one Yeah, I don't know, it was weird because in the beginning, like, the adoptive parents were really nice and, like, were trying to make a, like, um, an effort to come and, like, see me and they brought me, like, gifts and stuff, which was really nice.
0: Yeah, you mean to try to make sure you had a connection with your, your brother and sister? They would reach out to you periodically to bring you in?
1: Well, yeah, kind of. Like, we would see each other, like, at least once a month or something, maybe more or something. And then um, after, because my brother knows who I am because, um, I think we were separated when he was like four or five and I raised him. So like I was all he knew. And then, um, oh, after the adoption was finalized, then they, um, like stopped answering my calls and then they, we didn't have as many, um, visits. And then like, I'm really sad about that because um, I did a documentary for PBS where I talked about that, too, because um, it's, like, not fair because they don't see, like, even though maybe my brother has, like, issues or something or maybe something's triggering him when I come around. I don't know. Like, I guess he acts out, they say, or something. And so, um, like, even though he acts out, they need to, like, show him more love than, like negative reinforcement because um then like it's there's more problems that come with that and then like if they're not answering my phone or not like letting them talk to me or letting them talk to my grandpa then they even feel more alone and like nobody really understands them and how can they open up to someone that like shuts out like parts of their life that are like important so i just feel like the adoptive parents should have really thought about like how it really affects my brother and sister before they just like made all these executive decisions without them. And that's like kind of what we're fighting for now. And um, our advocacy groups and everything is like making sure that foster youth have that voice, whether it be in like uh, reproductive and sexual health rights, or if it's just in general, like bill of rights that foster youth have or like your right to an allowance, like, Just anything because it's not okay to like make decisions that affect people's mental health and their like lives when they should be making their own decisions.
0: Right. I know you're really active in advocacy. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, Let me just ask you, do you know why you were removed from your biological home?
1: Yes. So my mom is white. And so there's like a lot of racism in my family and there's like a lot of rich people problems. I'll put it like that. That's something that's unique about my story is that when you hear foster kids or foster care, you think that people are like these poor people living in like these horrible conditions or it's this way or that way. And like, um, it's really not like in foster care, um, you know, Hispanics and African-American and Blacks are disproportioned. But what they don't tell you is, even though I may look Black, my mom is white. And you have to factor all those things in because it wasn't a Black lady who abused me. It was a white woman. <laughs> and so um, there was, like, so many rich people problems. My grandpa was an executive chef. My grandma did things she wasn't supposed to. Uh, it affected my mom. And then my mom became, like, addicted to prescription pills so then like it was like that whole um story we all know how that goes and then like she became abusive so yeah
0: right can you tell me what what are your first memories of being in foster care you were eight so you uh, perhaps you you have uh, early memories or maybe you blocked it out
1: well, it's just crazy because like um there's like a lot going on in my home. And so basically my neighbors kind of knew and they were like, Hey, like, we don't want to be in your business, but like here's um this number for like the department, and then they told me like who the department of children and family services are and what they do, but they tried to explain it to me like nicely. And so they were like, whenever you feel like you're really in danger, um so you know, your neighbors them. gave you so information
0: I, so uh, yeah so your your neighbors yeah. gave you gave you information as an 8 year old about what to do if you felt you were in danger and who to call my mm-hmm. yeah Hi.
1: because the last time I was with my mom she told me to get make her a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and um I made it for her and I left the like it was like a little I think it was like a kind of sharp knife but I left it on the plate And I think she was like really high. So she told me like, oh, I didn't tell you to make me this. And then she like held the knife at my throat. So then I went to my neighbor's house and I told them, you know, I think it's time to call the people. And then um, we did that. And so ever since then, yeah, I've been in foster care basically. Right. And so did you go
0: from home to home? Did you find a home that was right for you? Did you go into group homes? How did that work for you?
1: Well, i never been in a group home, but I think it was interesting, like, when they first picked me up, like, the police came, and then, like, they took me to a police station, so, like, um, I don't know, I always felt like I was really advanced, and I went to, like, private schools and stuff, so I don't know, like... Even then, I was like not a hundred percent sure what was going on because like they just kind of put me in a room and then they like locked me in there with like nothing but like a TV with like VHSs and they're like, okay, we'll sit in here and there's like not a clock or anything, so I don't know. I know I was taken at night, but when I left, it was like six in the morning, and so I don't even know how long I was in that thing. And then I did go to different foster homes, but like. Also, I think it was amazing that, like, and not in a good way, that, um, like, if they can't find homes for people, that they put a lot of people in, like, group homes. I've never been in a group home, but they did, like, put us in, um, like, homeless shelters. So they'll put you in a homeless shelter if they can't find you a home, which is, like, super counterproductive. Uh, I don't know. I always went to, like, foster homes or, like, kinship homes, which are, like, friends or, like... Uh, family members or whatever, but I always went with friends. And so I kind of found a forever home, but like I had a really racist social worker who didn't um, give me a bus pass. And then she went to my school and told the truancy officer that I should get a ticket for not going to school, even though I didn't get a bus pass. And then she was signing off that I was getting a bus pass and I wasn't. Oh, and then, like, my foster mom, her mom moved in, and her mom was, like, 80 or something, and, um, like, a really long time ago, she was being raped, and so uh, she hit this guy on the head with a rock and killed him, but she didn't go to jail, but she, like, something happened where it went on her record, And so, like, my uh, social worker, the racist one, found that out and was like, oh, no, there's no way she could live here, blah, 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 we have to move her immediately, which it wasn't even like that. Like, at first she was saying all she had to do was expunge her record, and literally the day that her record was expunged is when my social worker moved me out of the house. So then, but that was around like 17. So then I went to like this foster home for a little bit, and it was pretty cool.
0: Right. So you went fr- from foster home to foster home and you kind of found your forever home, but then not really because you were moved out of that when when the the older woman was moved in.
1: When my a social worker? Yeah.
0: Right. Right. And then you uh, got to be 18 and then what happened?
1: So I think I did like the supervised independent living program where they give you like money to find an apartment or rent a room. And there was like a lot of problems with that because like it was very new and so like anything that's new is always like very like problematic and like, "Oh, how do we do this? How do how are things like funded? How are we going to make sure like they're in a safe environment?" And then I went to like a transitional housing. Because one of my roommates moved out and didn't tell me. And then, like, I couldn't afford the rent on my own because I was, like, so, like... I had a bank account since I was 13, but it just... I didn't have a job. I didn't have any, like, steady income besides a silk check. And I couldn't use the whole silk check. And, like, I mean, I had a job, but, like, still I have a lot of things to pay, And so I went to transitional housing, and then after that, I turned 21, and I went to another transitional housing. But then there was, like, um, some weird girl who was not a foster youth, and she was, like, addicted to drugs and all this thing, and, like, she's really, like, whacked out. And she, I don't know, she didn't like me, so she would call, like, the police or she would call the landlord and tell him like, oh, I was playing very loud music or, like, I was arguing with people even though, like, I wouldn't be there and I would have, like, proof that I wasn't there because I love posting on Snapchat. And so, like, but they just didn't believe me. And also the manager hated me because, like, I stood up for myself because we had, like, poop that came out of the tub and came out of, like, our sink and our Toilet and well,
0: they well there was uh, sewage in the bathroom coming out of the toilet in the sink yeah. And the bathtub
1: yeah and this was at like seven eight in the morning that we found out and then because we had all just like woken up and then um, I called the landlord and she didn't come until ten o'clock at night. And, oh, my God, I was so mad. And then I was talking to all the neighbors, and they were like, oh, yeah, this happened to us last week. This happened to us two weeks ago. This happened to us three weeks ago. Like, why didn't you guys say anything? Like, you could literally sue this lady. Well, the lady came and, like, kind of fixed it. And then there's poop everywhere, and she told us to clean it up. So then um I, I couldn't do it because I have anxiety and stuff. And then um I had to call like these people who deal with that. And they were like, oh, no, they gave me the right information. So then they told me to call her back. So I called her and I was like, hey, if you don't clean this up, like I'm going to have to call the health department. And she told me, do what I need to do. So I called the health department and then she had someone in there in 15 minutes. But I was like advocating for us. Like, we're not going to stay here. We need to go to a hotel. I don't care who's paying for it. I don't care. This is disgusting. You have to rip up the floors. We watched poop water sink into the bottom of the floors. The poop water, because they let it sit there for so long, went six inches high up in the wall. Wow. Like, it was disgusting. Yeah. So she wasn't even trying to fight for me. And this is a transitional housing. This is somewhere that is county government funded that they're right. supposed to make sure is safe. And I'm getting kicked out because technically you don't have tenant rights when you live in a transitional housing. All that is kind of gone. And so like all that was like this big commotion. And then I was the bad guy. And then no matter what I said, they still found like a way to kick me out. And then Hathaway, Sycamore, of of the program I was in, didn't even try to help me. Um, I was like, well, why don't you switch me with another girl since her best friend lives here and I could just go live where she lives. Oh, no, we don't want to do that. Like, okay, so you wanted me out anyway. Like, that's not okay. So basically after that, they didn't help me find any resources or any housing or anything. And then they um, basically left me to be homeless. And then I had to find like my own place. And then um, how did you do that? How did you do that? Did you
0: rely on friends or did anybody help you or, or, you know, as I'm, as I'm listening to you, Alexis, I'm just struck by the fact that you are just super resilient. You have just, you bounce back and bounce back. You've heard that about yourself, right?
1: Yeah. Well, no, I didn't have anyone to like help me or anything. I just kind of like relied on myself and like, I talked to, like, one of these people from school. I wouldn't call him my friend, but, like, I met this guy at school in, like, this weight class. But he was, like, very severely, like, mentally ill. But, like, it was just crazy. But I lived with him for, like, I think, like, a year or something. And then um, as I was living there, I met this guy. But I always reflect back on it because I think it's really funny, like, that everything happens for a reason. So I met this guy who like lived um, in an RV over there and he lived in front of the Rite Aid. And so... Um, and where was
0: this? Where was this in in, um, in uh, Long Beach? The Valley. Wisconsin. In the Valley. The Valley.
1: Okay. And so... Um,
0: I'm just trying to get a picture of it, right? So it's like a Rite yeah. Aid in like a strip mall in the Valley, whatever. Right.
1: Because right. if people know the Valley, they know there's a lot of like RV... Like I call them RV cities because there are like RVs back to back to back. But yeah, that's right. You can't be mad at them. Yeah, they make little communities, right? Yeah, but you can't be mad at them because if you're if if it's fifteen hundred dollars for a studio, I mean, LA is not LA is a rich city, but only to people who are like already rich or have the opportunities.
0: All right, so he helped you out. He had an r v you met oh, yeah, uh, you were hanging out with your friend in his place, but then who and he was kind of like troubled, and then you found another friend with an r v
1: well, I met this guy, and he had an r v and he was showing me his r v and he was like talking to me, and I don't remember like how I even met him where like got into his r v but like um, he used to like cook salmon for me, so that's like mm. our thing, like in his little r v And so we would, like, eat salmon and rice and stuff and drink, like, this really strong coffee. And then um, he was telling me, like, oh, yeah, you should live in an RV because it's, like, easy. And he always tells me, like, I'm a dog and, like, I could be wherever I want and, like, I could go wherever I want and, like, nothing could tie me down. And I'm, like, oh, we were born on the same day. So I think it's so – I mean, he's obviously older than me, but I think it's so funny we're both, like, December 15th people And so um, he was just telling me, like, oh, it'll be easier to, like, just live in an RV. And I thought about it. And I was like, okay. And then he was like, don't worry. I know, like, this guy who can, like, you can park your RV there and hook up to water and power and, like, work for them. So I did that for a couple of years. And then I worked, like, self-employed for a construction company. So I did their security. And in return, they paid me really well. And then they also... um, Allowed me to park my RV on their property <clears throat> and use their electricity and their water. And, like, it was really cool.
0: Right. What If you're on your own in an RV, you, did you ever feel frightened or did you feel in, um, a little bit vulnerable? Or were you like, no, I can, I got this?
1: No, I mean, I think most people knew me, like, but it was just weird because, like, guys would come to my RV and, like, these guys would be like, hey, can I do, like, this or that? And I'd be like, why are you coming to my RV, like, talking to me? Or they'll be like, oh, I noticed you were alone. And, like, you don't have a boyfriend. Like, why are you at my RV? So it's more, like, a nuisance other than, like, scary. Because um, people ask me that a lot. Like, you're not afraid to be in an RV. And, like, my car got broken into before my RV did. And I just feel like, I mean, it's the same thing, like, the only thing, and it's like, I don't know if people really understand this saying, but the only thing really stopping a burglar is your door or a window. And like, it doesn't matter if it's the window to an RV, it doesn't matter if it's the window to a car, and it doesn't matter if it's the window to your balcony. Like, they, if they want to go in, they'll go in. Uh, have I been lucky? Kind of. I mean, I've had some break-ins, but I wasn't there. So maybe that's a good or bad thing, but... I don't know. Right. So, um,
0: you're a sex worker, right? So, how did you get into that? How did that how did that play out for you?
1: Well, um, I think it's because like foster care, they don't give you like what you need and then like um, there's like no resources basically for foster youth. Like I was telling my foster mom this, um, for some reason like when foster youth apply for, like, CalFresh or food stamps or whatever, they always come up with this thing, like, oh, well, you need to be working. Okay, so you start working. Oh, well, then you need to go to school for full time. Okay, so then you do that. Oh, well, then there's this other thing. Well, that's not fair. And then when they finally give you food stamps or whatever, they say, like... Um, Oh, like we're only like for me. They gave me fifteen dollars. They gave my friend five for a month. They gave my other friend thirty, and we thought like, "Wow, you're balling!" Like they don't help us well, because they can't live on that. Yeah, but they feel. I guess they feel like the county is supposed to have our back. I don't know what it is, but I mean, I'm grateful for the medical. But like, we need like to eat too, and like we need places to live we need like it's not fair that when there's housing it's i was just having this conversation it's always foster youth and it's never just foster youth it's like we built foster uh, we built um housing for foster youth and mothers well then you're gonna take the mothers before us foster youth and families we're gonna take the families before us even when the pandemic hit people told me like oh, we don't have food at the food bank for single-family homes. Do you have children? Like, and I always make this joke or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I have dark humor. So it's like, I always say I have to have, because everybody knows I don't want to have kids. I tell them I have to have, like, 10 kids to even get assistance, and it's not fair because even when I go on, like, Section 8 or – um the Los Angeles Housing Authority or whatever, it says, like, the four-bedroom, five-bedrooms, they're open. They've been open. They've all, they're have all, they always open. They're, they said they were open since October 2020. And, like, every month they just keep updating, like, open since December 2020, January 2021. But when you see the one, two, and three bedrooms, it's like there's nothing, and that's not fair because it's always foster youth end, but we always end up somehow falling through the cracks. And so, I mean, in the end, you have to do what you have to do to, I mean, make ends meet or do whatever or find a place to live or whatever.
0: And that includes the sex work? Yeah. Right. So how, how is that working for you now with COVID? Did he, are you doing phone stuff? Or are you doing, doing video stuff? Because isn't it harder to meet people in person or maybe you are meeting them in person? That's not working out.
1: (laughs) That I have like a heart murmur, so I can't. But no, I've taken a break because I do like a lot of self employment and then like having to go to school and finish my last semester. It's been like a lot. I think that was Mm -hmm. like. When I was, like, younger and, like, fresh starting out. And then, like, I think that's something people don't talk about a lot. But, like, how mentally and, like, physically draining it is. And it's not, like, fun. Like, maybe in the beginning it's fun. But it turns into, like, any job. Like, the respect aspect to it or, like... I also have morals. so. But, and I remember when
0: I first heard you talk about this, you also see your sex work as empowering. Yeah, it's just a right. job now for you, but especially when you first started, it was empowering. It was a way for you to take control of, of your own body and, and, and what you did with it and also your own livelihood, right? Right. And how did that first happen for you? You were like, yeah, I can do this. I like it. Or maybe I don't like it, but I can do it. It's way better than some of the stuff I've done.
1: Um, I don't know. I think it's just like a cycle. My friend had a friend who was in foster care too, who did it. And she was older than her. And then she went in it. And then she did things with like porn stars and stuff. And then um, she was like, oh, I didn't want to tell you because I thought you'd be disappointed in me. And I was like... No, I don't think that it's, like, bad. I think that, like, I mean, you're your own boss in a sense. You have to, like, be able to put people in their place. You have to be very strong-willed. I was like, oh, that's really cool, you know? And she would always, like, buy me things because she would, like, have a bunch of money. And then, like, I was like, why am I, like, waiting on my allowance when I could just do this, too? So I think around, like, 18, I kind of started learning about it and, like where to go and, like, how to do things and who to talk to and how to talk to people. And then after that, I don't know, I just kind of did it for, like, kind of a long time, like, till I was, like, 23-ish. And then I kind of, like, stopped because I got, like, really...
0: How old are you now? Because you look so young. I'm 25. You're 25? Yeah, you could Mm -hmm. be, like, 20 or... And you describe yourself as a strong Black woman, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I really like that because you. Unfortunately, our listeners can't see you, but you're a very lovely woman, and also a strong black woman. It's yes. like a it's like a really great combination, and Thank I you've you. you've also written a lot about that. So why don't you talk to me about some of your advocacy and some of your writing and what's important to you, and also Blue Table Foster Talk, which you're mm-hmm. which you're you're intent on establishing, right? Yes. Why they name uh, Blue Table? What does that come from?
1: So I wanted it like, there's Red Table Talk with Jada Smith or whatever. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a tell all, like where you're supposed to be like truthful or whatever. Right. And so I felt like, okay, well, blue is uh, May is Foster Care Awareness Month. And so our color would be like the light blue. And so I was like, okay, so the blue table would represent like, you know, foster care And then we're just having like a foster talk. So I'm going to do things like all things um, that you really need to know. Like at 16, what do you need to know? What do you, what kind of services should you be getting? What kind of services are out there? Being able to have a passport and not having to pay for it yourself. Things about like financial aid, about housing, about uh, I put together a foster youth school packet. So it has all the Schools in California and what they offer. So, their Guardian Scholars Program, but they're all different. What they provide to foster youth, what are their main services, what does the housing look like? Because I got a lot of misinformation in foster care, and like you need to know this depending on what school you're going to, what school offers the best we think we have like we can go to school for free which is like technically true I mean nothing is free but they have like a certain amount allocated for foster youth to go to school and a lot of us wasted in the beginning and then if we have to go for a master's we look like crazy at the end because we can't pay for it and then like we're like okay well now we need fellowships or to start a GoFundMe or whatever and it shouldn't be like that. This
0: sounds super valuable because even with my limited experience, I see that there's so much it's so confusing trying to navigate the system, just trying to figure out what is out there that's viable in terms of services or support. Never mind what you qualify for or kinda of qualify but don't qualify but kind of but then not, right? Right. All that stuff. And and uh, also for kids that have spent time in foster care, usually they don't have the foundation in terms of information to do that navigation, just right. because they haven't been in a stable family that is providing that information. So you start to flail around and hunt around to see what's out there, right? And then there's a lot of misinformation.
1: That too, but it's like, sometimes, like I know, like social workers would give me things and even my good social workers, she would be like, you should very, really, really read this. And I'd be like, yeah. And then I'd like throw it in the back of my car. Yeah. So, like, having, like, a YouTube or whatever where people can, like, stay engaged and, like, actually look and then you could come back to it and then, like, you can just go, like, oh, you know, like, Blue Table Foster Talk has something about college experience. Let's look it up. And then you can always look it up. I mean... Technology is like a challenge, but after COVID, they see that so many people didn't have technology and how important it is. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so I think it's not going to be a problem anymore.
0: Right. Let me ask you, what has your experiences been with your social workers, your caseworkers? Did you have one only? Did you have many? Uh, Was there a lot of turnover? Um, did Did you like them?
1: I had like... One, in the beginning, I think that was, like, the ER social worker. They were really cool. I think they extended their time with me or something, because, like, because you are not supposed to do that. But, like, this lady was with us for a long time, like, almost a year. And then she, because she's the one who came and did the investigation, and then she was our social worker. She, like, always, like, brought me stuff, like, for Christmas events or whatever, and then um, made sure I went to, like, Christmas events. So that was cool. And then I had, like... I think I had, like, a guy or something. I think it's, like, when you switch locations or something,
0: you yeah, get, like, a new yes. social
1: worker if it's, That's like, right. too far or whatever. Yeah, that and happens. And so yeah. so I think the last time I got, like, my super racist social worker, I think, like, one of mine retired or something, and then she came and she was just so bad, and I literally had her for a long time, like, two years. It was so bad. I sit in front of her because I told her, like, I'm through with this, like, You're going to stop lying to me. You need to tell me, like, why won't you give me a bus pass? And then I stood in front of her. I mean, all my foster sisters were there. So they were like, oh, my God, Alexis, just let her, like, pass or whatever. And I was like, no, it's not fair that she didn't let me have a bus pass. I mean, it was either I'm going to stand in front of you or, like, I'm going to put my hands on you. And I don't want to do that. Right. So why was she lying about
0: it, you think? Because it's not like she's keeping it for herself. She can't use it.
1: I don't really know. What she was doing, it's none of my business, but she was signing off on it because I told my lawyer I want to stand in front of the judge and ask. Because she told me, the judge told me that I wasn't allowed to have a bus pass. So then I told him I wanted to stand in front of the judge and hear that myself because, you know, I'm a Sagittarius and we got to hear it for ourselves. And the judge is like, what are you talking about? Like, I I've, I've never said that. I had to stand in front of her, and then I stood in front of her in front of her car. So then when our next monthly visit came, like this new lady came, and then she was like, oh, I'm your new social worker. And I was like, what happened to my old one? And then I guess my old one said that I keyed her car. So then when DCFS was like, oh, can you show us the evidence? She said that she already got her car painted.
0: So she just lied regularly? <laughs> wow. Wow.
1: <laughs> Well, welcome to the Palmdale DCFS office. Let me ask you, let me ask you something about,
0: about you. What, what is about you that, that allows you to fight so well for yourself? Because it sounds like you did it from an early age and a lot of people can't do that. Did you learn how to do that? Did you just decide this is it? If I don't do it, no one will. What, what is that about?
1: Without putting like stereotypes on it, like my foster sister and I were talking and she was telling me like, people don't like black women because we're going to say How we feel. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I totally agree with her on that. And I feel like I'm also a Sagittarius. So, like, we're very truthful. Like, we're not, like, liars. And so knowing my worth and knowing that, like, I have a right to be comfortable in whatever situation I'm in, I just have to keep moving on because there's no point. Because I was, like, a real crybaby when I entered the system. And then they kind of told me, like, you can't do that if you're going to be in foster care and so I mean Who told you that's that that's what you, I did. Who told you that? You remember that that there were there were
0: adults in your life saying you gotta get together, you're
1: well it was like foster kids and stuff. I see. They were telling me, you know, you have to like not cry and stuff. And so I don't know, I just always felt like if I did wasn't being treated right, then I'm not gonna stay or I'm not gonna listen, I'm not gonna no, it's just not it's not okay.
0: Right so can you tell me about the not for profit that you hope to start to to help help foster kids. I know that you're working on the blue table foster talk which I think is a brilliant idea but you're also plan you have some long range plans don't you.
1: Yeah, I do want to start a non-profit. Right now I'm kind of like on um community asset building and kind of like how to do that and like how to build basically generational wealth. Like right now I'm looking for housing and it's not about me or my money, which is why I can't get housing. Number one, there's too many people here. Number two, there's redlining. Number three, there's people who will just straight out, not work with you if they know what you look like. And like, there's no reason that it should be $1,500 for a studio, knowing that all the areas that these $1,500 studios are in are in low co- income areas. So, like, it's like deeper than me just having money. And then on top of it, you have to make three times the rent. If a studio is $1,500, do you know what three times $1,500 is? It's
0: a lot of money. Yeah. It's just too much money for a young person, right? <laughs> Including a deposit.
1: Yeah. That's
0: right. You can't sustain that. Let me ask you this then. Um, what is true about you that no one would ever know unless you told them?
1: One of my goals is to be happy. And I've had that goal for a long time. And I think that that's like another issue with mental health and stuff is like, um, what's his name? Robin Williams. Robin is like, Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a good example, because even though you could be like really happy and funny and this and that, like. I'm going to be loyal to you, which means I'm going to tell you things that you don't want to hear, which means that that's friendship. It doesn't mean I'm hating on you. It doesn't mean like I'm trying to put you down because nine times out of ten, I'm going to say more positive than negative things. But sometimes you have to get real. If I really appreciate and love you and I have to be real with you and I expect you to be real with me and not just when you're upset.
0: Yeah. Are you saying then that people don't realize that you have a depth of of sadness? Is that what I you're mean, saying?
1: not just that, but like, I feel like people think that I'm like so strong and so this and that, that like, I don't know what to call it. But like my one friend, like they don't invite me places. They always want me to go like to their house. Nobody ever comes to the valley to come visit me. And so like I like I need people to check in and like I just need, I guess, more. I guess it's not. I don't know. I feel like I have a right to ask for more.
0: I I understand what you're saying because I think it's sometimes hard to ask for attention or affection or love or just just asking for someone to check in with you, uh, especially if people think that you're strong and capable and on top of it, and that and and they assume that you would ask for what you need, and it's
1: actually harder to do that than right. people think, right? Sometimes I think it's funny because I think it's easier sometimes to advocate for others than it is for myself because it's also like a a race thing and it comes with like always having to quote be the like black ambassador everyone's like oh my god you're the only black one so you got to make all of us look good or like (laughs) that's not fair that's how it is it's like And I tell people that I was just in a situation. (laughs) Yes, with room And people don't realize that I was just in a situation with roommates. And I was like, man, I want to cuss them out so bad. But what I understand is that they're all from anti-Black cultures, like Asian culture, um, Caucasian culture. There's some anti-Black stereotypes and all types of things in there. And if they if this lady's telling me that her mom's a Trump supporter, obviously she doesn't really have that many black friends. And I'm probably the only black person they've met. So let me not go off on them because then they're going to automatically assume like, oh, dang, all black people are crazy or want to automatically fight or whatever. So I had to really keep my cool, even though it was hard. And it's like you are kind of the black ambassador or you have to remember that there's that crazy black woman stereotype that people always think and even someone told me that in class, like some people might see Alexis as an angry black um, stereotype, but some people might also see me as a hero or as, and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they're saying this. But like, it's, I mean, I get what they were saying because I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to stop if I know it's right. Like the uh, social work school has a code of ethic and DCFS breaks that a lot. Well, I had a, issue with DCFS in my internship because I know the code of ethics and they're trying to go against me. And they're saying things like group homes are where they put bad children and children with severe behavioral problems. But you didn't tell them that that's where you put people when you can't find homes for them and then leave them there in these jail-like systems. You didn't tell them that and how many levels there are. And they're like, oh no, they were fighting with me telling me there weren't levels in group homes. How are you going to tell a foster youth that? Yeah,
0: that's crazy. You can't
1: do that. Yeah. And then telling me I'm threatening in an email. How can you tell me I'm threatening in a, my tone is threatening in an email? Mm. I'm asking you for something. Um I we ended up mutually terminating me because Cal State Long Beach was the only school getting paid for the internship in the uh, bachelor's in social work program, and that's not okay. It's not okay. It's not a Cal State LA, Cal State Long Beach thing. It's if you're paying one school for the social work program, you need to pay them all for doing the same thing. It's okay because now I have an internship that's paid. So Mm. it's just all these things that also go in to being a Black person.
0: Wow. Okay. So thank you for that because... I know I'm learning a lot. And I know people listening to this are learning a lot as well. You're so clear about your ideas, your thoughts, your beliefs. It's truly admirable. I, I want to ask you, if you could say something to a youth right now who is having trouble in the foster care system, or any kid in the foster care system, what would you say?
1: I think a lot of times foster youth put like their abuser first, because we don't understand that we're still kind of being like abused. And so to, like, give advice to people to put yourself first, because, uh, like, honestly, we never put ourselves in the situation of foster care in the first place. And I know it's really rough and we want to go back to our parents, but we shouldn't have to endure, like, any kind of abuse, if it's physical, mental, or whatever. Um, For our abuser, especially my mom, like, I have a big problem with that. Now talking, because I talk to my friends and I tell them, you know, you can't make plans. You can cancel them because you can let me know, but you can't just be like, oh, I'm on my way and then never show up because that's very triggering for me because my mom did that a lot. It was really hard to put myself first, but I felt like once I started putting myself first and putting myself in situations that were better for me and not like convenient for my mom, like, oh, this is close to where my mom lives then I saw, like, a lot more positivity in my life and a lot more, like, love come into my life. So um, I would definitely say to start at least um, building, like, soft skills and then also um, think about joining places like CYC and NFYI. I mean, I felt like I advocated for myself, but after joining CYC. um, I just was able to articulate myself more. I was able to clearly express the issues I was facing. And what
0: is uh, CYC again? What does it stand for so that our listeners? So
1: California Youth Connections.
0: That's right. Or Mm -hmm. the
1: National Foster Youth Institute, because Mm -hmm. they really help you and going to advocate for other people and learning how to talk to congressmen and congresswomen and congresspeople. Like it's just really like empowering and then also like advocating for yourself because I was being like beat by foster parents and stuff with like closed fists and I was saying everything was fine because I was trying to see my mom whenever she felt sober enough to come see us you should not think about what I want to see my mom I want to see this I want to see that yes everybody's end goal is like placement back into your family, family reunification or whatever, or finding you a permanent home. But I would just say like no matter what situation you're in, always like advocate for yourself. Don't be like narcissistic, but always put yourself first and do the thing that Snoop Dogg did. Like always make sure like you um thank yourself. Thank yourself for waking up. Thank yourself for rolling out of bed. It's not everybody else's Um, it's not that you got into a college or the college accepted you. It's that the college that you accepted the college, you applied for that college. And if you had the mind to get in, then it should be an honor that you picked them and that they didn't pick you because Mm -hmm. that's just how it is. Like you have to carry yourself like you're like the person. Yeah. I, I, I really
0: thank you for that because the reason why I find your story so particularly compelling is because I know you've learned how to take care of yourself. And I think you set a really good example for people on how to do that, how to think about that, how to have systems in place in order to protect yourself, in order to take care of yourself. So what I I ask you now is, what is it like for you now as an adult, when you look back on your childhood? How do you feel about it?
1: I don't know. I feel like like in my teenage years or my, uh, transition age youth years, there was a lot of, um, I don't know, kind of like negative responses. And I think it's cause I didn't handle what happened in my past or like, uh, understanding like benefits of having things like therapy and then actually like talking through things and like, I don't know. I really set boundaries with my therapist. Like, I don't want to talk about like my story again and again. I want to actually talk about like, okay, when people do this, I feel this way. Like, how can we identify what that is and how can we change that? And now I did like I have a lot of healthy coping skills and stuff and like, but. And then,
0: so you've recently had some terrific successes. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? I, didn't you get a new job and you got a new internship and you got a new this
1: a new that, right? Yeah. I just, I work as an intern at the She Ready program with Tiffany Haddish. And so I do work for a PR firm called Covert Creative and they're pretty cool I learned a lot of like PR stuff and I really love it. And I'm really grateful that they extended my internship for two more months because I'm excited to learn more about it. We work with the California department of social services, but specifically with wraparound to make sure that they are using like fidelity and thinking about youth and youth voices when making like important decisions or policies or changing how people do wraparound. So, uh, so we're doing a lot of good work with them. And then, yeah, I did just move. So that's cool. And, and you moved yeah. too. Wow. Okay. Right. So your situation is a little bit
0: better because your your housing situation was was tricky last time we spoke. Yeah. You're in a good place now, a safe place, a happier
1: place? Yes.
0: That's really good to hear. And is there
1: anything else that you want to say? I don't know. It just doesn't matter where you came from. You can always, like, achieve whatever you want, basically, as long as you believe in yourself and have, like, the right support. Because not everybody could just do this alone, especially foster youth. But there are um, new programs and a lot of people who are willing to help. So, like, even if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, that's possible. I don't care. Anywhere I go, like... I'm going to feel like I belong here and like I worked hard to get here and don't let anybody or your own thoughts put you down because I know we do that a lot as humans and we overthink things. In the end, I mean, they're all just words. You just have to push through it and have healthy coping skills and support systems. And then you can really achieve anything.
0: This is really valuable, Alexis. Thank you so much. Thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you. So Alexis Sabina, a strong, proud black woman, is building a strong and happy future for herself. And she's fighting for it. She's fighting for herself, she's fighting for what is right, and she's fighting for other people too. She wants positivity in her life and she's making positive things happen. So good on you, Alexis. Keep on doing it. If you see something, say something. If you suspect that a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process, and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. So if you see something, say something. You might be saving a child's life. I want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful music Eferisto to hear more of her music go to Spotify and Instagram at Christina Aposto. that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A A-P-O-S-T-O I know you want to her stuff is really great and thanks to my audio producer extraordinaire Marcos Campito I'm glad I found you Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please rate us and hit subscribe.